We are the men who. I didn't want to think about what will people say about me when I die? How will people view me? Will I have left anything like a lasting legacy? I started to think, well, actually, why not live my legacy? Why not try and live my life the way I want to die? Why not try and share with people what I want to leave them now? Why not become the person I want to be? Welcome to The Men Who Talk, the men's mental well-being podcast brought to you by The Men Who. The Men Who is a men's collective for actively maintaining positive mental well-being. With The Men Who, men have the opportunity to talk, listen, support, care for, and help themselves and each other build meaningful connections in person, online, and together. The Men Who Talk is our brand new podcast. We've been running men's talking circles in Edinburgh and beyond since 2019, but here we're bringing the conversation to you, exploring and sharing our experiences relating to men's mental well-being. Each episode you'll hear from our trustees, members, inspirational guests and people we've met on our journey so far on how they're learning to actively manage their minds. Together it's our purpose to raise the power of sharing what's on our mind and make it easier for men everywhere to access their well-being potential. Join us on this lifelong journey. We are the Men Who and welcome to the Men Who Talk. Hi everyone, it's John from The Men Who here and a very warm welcome to episode 3 of The Men Who Talk. We really hope that you're enjoying our new podcast and have taken some valuable insights from our first two episodes. If you've not listened yet, head back and listen to these conversations where you can hear from The Men Who co-founder Joe Anderson on the power of talking and from Edinburgh Blue Balls founder Mark Miller on the ways in which cold water immersion and the community that comes with it can help enhance mind, body and soul. Today we're joined by yet another incredible man on the mental well-being scene. Cameron Murdoch is the creative coach behind Cam Life Designs, an advocate of the powerful living legacy well-being concept. Now it seems to me that most of us think about legacy as something that exists after we're no longer around. As humans, we spend a lot of time when we're alive thinking about the impact our actions and contributions will have on people when we're gone, and certainly that's always been my view growing up. But what if we could live our legacy whilst we're still alive? ensuring we, as well as those around us, benefit from the good that we do today. In this episode, Cameron shares how his experiences, from trauma in early childhood to physical health, career and societal challenges in adulthood, led to his relearning, rebuilding and reconnecting to every aspect of his life across mind, body, soul and identity. Beyond this, however, Cameron tells us how this journey has not only made him capable of living out his own legacy, but also how he's applying lessons he's learned along the way to help lift and shape other people's well-being for the better. From a personal perspective, it's no exaggeration to say that Cameron has had as much influence on my own well-being journey and actions around living legacy as anybody. He's a beautiful outlook on life, hard won through adversity, and for me is the truest example of the choice that we all face to frame our perspectives in ways that serve our well-being and our legacies. I'm in no doubt that everyone who listens to this episode will be able to take something positive from what Cameron shares. For now, however, enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe, rate the podcast or get in touch with us on Instagram at themenwho underscore if you'd like to join our conversation. So without further ado, may I bring you Cameron.
Cameron, my wonderful friend, welcome to The Men Who. How are you? I'm very good and all the better for seeing you. Good man, it is so awesome to have you here. I'm really happy that you have been able to come along to our circles over the last couple of years and now come along onto the podcast. Are you excited? I am. I'm trying hard not to laugh just looking at you just now, (laughs) but I'm good. What's wrong with me? It's just a, a surreal setup. Yeah, it is surreal. <clears throat> so Cameron came in here and within five seconds of being in the room, he noticed that I had a picture up on the wall of Macduff, which is where he spent a lot of his, his youth and his childhood and some of your adulthood too. Yeah, I still go up north to see my family there. So Yeah, so it's it's almost like we're, we're, we're at home. So this should make you nice and comfortable for the conversation, yeah? It is, but I'm, I'm trying to make sure I don't get even more broader with my northeast accent. <laughs> well, I want you to feel comfortable. You can be as broad as you like. Cameron, as I say, a, a huge welcome to the Men Who Talk podcast. Um, I'm so happy to have you here for many reasons. One, because uh, you've made a huge contribution to the group um, since you joined a couple of years ago, bringing your experiences to the table, your your kind of unique view on life, but also because you've become a very good friend and, and someone who has um, helped me frame my, my mental well-being um, for the better since we met. So it's it's great to have you on here. Now, the, the reason you're here is to talk about a concept called living legacy. And for those that aren't aware of what it is, Cameron's going to kind of bring that to life in a bit, but you brought this to the table with the men who a few weeks ago when you led one of our circles and introduced this concept. And in three years of hosting the circles, I've never seen a reaction to this topic um, the, 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 the way we got that night. I mean, people were sitting there, honestly, just thinking... Thoroughly depressed. No, <laughs> I think you could feel depressed about it. But also, I, I, it was almost like sitting in the room and, and looking around the circle and thinking, you know, Guys are changing their perspective about their life in this conversation. You know, forget going away and thinking about it. They're they're, they're rethinking things right now. And that was a phenomenal thing to be a part of. Um, So you're going to bring that light to life to us today and and hopefully give us some some guidance on what we can all do to live our legacy whilst we're still around. Before we get into all that good stuff, I I want to explore who you are and and what your your mental well-being journey is like. So can you give the listeners an introduction, a background to, to who Cameron is? First of all, thank you for that amazing introduction. To the listeners, I promised I didn't pay them £20. £30. Okay, that's increased. (laughs) Um, I love to laugh. That's the obvious thing. Um, So I'm from the very north of Scotland, originally from a place called Persoy, which is only a few miles away from McDuff. Um, Grew up in an unusual background, trained in music. This is just a little flavour. So I'm very creative. Love to laugh. Um, and spend my life now trying to help people think about their end of life but in a positive way and how they're going to live that every day. It's it's a beautiful vocation that you you have chosen to um to take on in particularly the last few years as far as i understand it tell me um you are you're the kind of creative mind behind cam life designs and this is to me, as, a, as I see it, the vehicle through which you are helping other people through your creative and your well-being endeavours. Can you talk to me about Cam Life Designs and you know how, how you established that? Yeah, um, so originally I trained as a concert pianist uh, years ago um, and I developed my first cancer at the age of 31, um, which meant that uh, I couldn't continue doing music anymore because I ended up paralysed from the neck down due to um, the operation going wrong. Didn't do anything creative at that point. I worked in a management job instead, moved away from creativity, um, and just over the years I've missed it. So I've gone back to being creative but not in music, um, and now I 
kind of taught myself how to do silversmithing, goldsmithing, jewellery design. Um, and that kind of spurred my creativity back a few years ago. And I kind of just thought, I'm getting slightly older in life. Um, I'm still going through ill health. What can I do that's more fulfilling for me and for other people? So I kind of, I actually, it's difficult to define. Uh, I'm so grateful I don't have a business as such that I have to sell. Um, I kind of combined it all together. So now I do a little bit of design, um, designing of uh, pieces of jewellery. I suppose I help people design their life as well. So Cam Life Designs came from a point of view that Cam, me, Cameron, uh, brought life to design, but I also brought design to life. So that's where it all came from. Um, and that's just led on to now using creativity to help people deal with mental health, um, well-being, um, issues, challenges, trauma, ill health. Um, basically just trying to get people to enjoy their life more, to heal. Um, and to create the future they want to live. It's amazing. So what kind of... I think I said that in one breath. I can breathe now. <laughs> yeah, well, they'll never know, right? They're not here. Um, <clears throat> it's incredible, and I love the analogy that you used to bring to life um, jewellery, and, and then how that's, I suppose, evolved for you to, to helping people. Um, and, and using creativity at the heart of that. What kind of things do you do on a daily basis with your clients to help them enhance their mental well-being? Um, lots, of, lots of different things. So what I, what I will say is that, I mean, a few years ago, I trained as a, a coach. Um, so I, I, I have a lot of co uh, clients that I also coach, etc., and I bring creativity into the sessions. But really... I'm a very creative person, from artwork to music to singing, vibration, even garden, nature. Um, anything that's not paperwork, taxes or anything like that is my forte, anything that's creative. Um, so each session I bring different tools. Sometimes I'm doing more of a coaching exercise, looking at someone's life, drawing diagrams. Um, sometimes I'm using using doodles to help people to relax, to get mindfulness. Sometimes it's creating affirmations so that people can focus their mind and get some calmness um, and feel still inside. Sometimes I use music and vibration to get people to tune into the music and feel the vibrations and the frequencies and the resonance, uh, firstly to help them calm down and to focus on their breathing. But secondly, because a lot of frequency and vibration works used for healing, uh, etc. Sometimes it's a story work. So basically, creativity I use with my clients is anything. I'm very imaginative. I use my imagination on a daily basis. And I also use humour. I'm constantly laughing. I'm constantly trying not to come out with any innuendo or any jokes because, um, yeah, um, I just love to laugh. Life's too short. Here, here. Let me ask you a question about the kind of people that come to you for help. <clears throat> Are they creative people? Sometimes. So part of the, the coaching I do, I do love to coach creative people. Actors, actresses, directors. Um, I'm coaching a film producer at the moment. So there is that element that some of my clients are um, creative. But actually, it's it's the opposite. Sometimes it's people who are not wouldn't class themselves as being creative at all, 
but they're going through some kind of challenge or trauma and are looking for maybe just not a typical way to deal with it. So a lot of people might try counselling, um, psychotherapy, NLP, CBT, all these kind of things to um, deal with trauma or challenges, which are all brilliant and good. Mm. I'm not qualified with any of those. But what I choose to do is use coaching and creativity as a way to help people to free up their mind and to talk. So I, I, don't, I don't really have any... To be honest, I don't have a specific type of client that I like to work with. I like to work with anybody because I just love people. I love creativity. I sometimes, like, like the men's who group, I'll do work with men. I also work with uh, women and um, children I've done in as well. But it's really just anybody um, that has challenges or, or trauma or just want to chat even sometimes I just like being there I'm one of these people that I always draw people towards me so I can be at a bus stop and quite often a, an elderly person will chat to me and tell me their life story at the bus stop yeah I love it I'm going to pick up on that in a minute because I'm really interested in what it is about you that invites people to do that whether it is physically and or verbally invited or kind of orally invited but <clears throat> coming back to the, the the type of people that you coach and the way you coach with creativity this fascinates me because last week, for example, uh, Mark from the Edinburgh Blue Balls was on, and one of the things we talked about was the role that creativity plays in mental well-being, right? And I know now that, that creativity is at the heart of my mental well-being. I've got to find a way to express it. For those that work with you who you wouldn't say are a traditional creative, right? So they, they don't kind of fall into the traditional creative categories. How do they respond to creative therapy? Um, well, a lot of people who are not typically, who, would, who wouldn't typically describe themselves as creative, obviously sometimes do, are intimidated by it or struggle with it or sometimes don't want to do it. But how I explain it to them or get them to be involved in it is, as children, we just, we play, we're imaginative. Children don't call themselves creative. Children just have fun. So somehow along the way, some adults have forgotten to have fun. Some adults have forgotten to, to have fun, to be creative, to laugh, uh, to draw, to paint. N not to be an artist, but just to have fun. And it's something I noticed. There's a lot of children. I was a kid. We were all kids once. You didn't draw because you wanted to be the next Van Gogh, or you didn't. Uh, play music because you wanted to be the next Beethoven or or um, take that you just did it for fun so how I get the clients to actually get more creative is just by saying to them look this is not for a purpose of becoming a master it's not even creative uh, creativity in the defined sense this is just having fun and relaxing and, and seeing what we can explore and find and discover and then people tend to just go along with it because I think sometimes as adults, our inner critic can kick in. We don't want to do things in front of people that's different to what we normally do. Sometimes creativity scares people because, oh, well, I'm going to be judged. So I kick judgment out the door um, for my clients, and we just have fun with it and use it as a way for them to go deeper. I think it's such an important service. And it's one that we don't find often enough um, in everyday life. So it's it's so important that people like you are bringing this to the table for, for people. I've talked to you so many times over a coffee or at circles that um, 
I'll do anything for a free coffee. <laughs> as far as I hear, you get free coffees wherever you go in Edinburgh. Anyway, you're one of those guys, right? Anyone who wants a free coffee, go and hang out with Cameron. Um, it, so so you, the, the, the two phrases you used in that sentence, which jumped out at me and are so relevant to me, one's inner critic and the other's judgment. And you know that those are two things I've had to get over massively in my own head to set me off on this path that I've been on for the last few years. And, and through uh, things like my artwork, right? Even sitting down and doing... Which is stunning. <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, there's your 20 quid back. Um, even doing this 30. Thir- oh, sorry, mate. Sorry, 30 quid. Tito, uh, inflation. Um, even sitting down and doing this podcast, right? If I hadn't been on that journey, I, w- I wouldn't have put a single piece out there, of a, a piece of art out there. I wouldn't have bought re- recording equipment. I wouldn't be sitting here as relatively comfortable as I am speaking to people on record forever about mental well-being and my own journey with that. Um, so I think it's, again, it's something that we can do better for each other is, is helping each other identify what those aspects of creativity are in, within our own beings. And, and like I said on the last episode, giving them ways to exercise it in whatever way is meaningful and playful to them. I think the important thing for me to add is there are musicians and artists and jewelers and designers, lots of different creative industries in the world where people are critical and are judged because they are professionals and their work's on display. Sometimes I think as humans we can be too judgmental and too critical. Um, and for me, having done music as well, um, creativity fundamentally is just about expression, fun and expression. Should we judge artists? Well, of course, critics do, because that's what they're paid for. But actually, art is just an expression, the same with music, baking, cooking, drawing, clothes making, fashion. Mm -hmm. Everything's just a form of expression. And therefore, I don't think we should really judge people. If we don't like something, we don't like it. it. But someone else will. Yeah. And I think people become intimidated by creativity, whereas to me it's just a form of expression. And I think where this started for me, I haven't really discussed it because I didn't know what to really discuss today. Um, But, I mean, I grew up for the first 17 years of my life in the north of Scotland. I'm gay, so I also had to hide who I was in a very masculine farm and fishing community as I'm sitting looking at John's Fishing net picture painting in front of me. <laughs> fishing net, not fishnet picture. He doesn't have a, a painting of fishnets. Um, <laughs> changing topic. Um, but no, I was abused for the first 17 years of my life um, by my dad, who was an alcoholic. And for me, and for many kids and adults, um, when you're being abused, um, you can be affected by it drastically. But you also need an outlet. Um, And I think for me, my outlet wasn't talking to people about the abuse um, because I tried to hide what was going on in the house because actually I didn't want the abuse to get worse. Had people found out about the abuse, I dreaded the fact that it might get back to my dad and that would have made things worse. Um, So I used creativity to survive. So creativity for me originally was a form of expression and fun, but it was also a form of survival um, to rationalise the abuse, to express the abuse, but also I now do some work on people about how to 
connect to an issue, how to reset the issue and how to create a new life. It's part of a new method I created called Connect, Reset and Create. But for me, I did that on a, a daily basis as a child. You would be abused, you'd go to bed. I could choose to waken up and hate the world, which I did some days. But a lot of days I just woke up having reset myself during the sleep and I thought, right, today's a different day. I'm going to create a different day to yesterday. And that went on for 17 years. So creativity for me was much deeper than just fun, if I'm honest. It was just a way to survive. But through that experience, what I did learn was that the worst thing you can do is not to express how you feel. Most of us in abuse or some kind of challenge find it difficult to say words. So my belief is, well, don't. If you can't say words, use anything else at your disposal to, to have an outlet whether that's creation, whether that's um, drawing, painting, poetry, um, hill walking, exercise, being in nature, whatever it is um, to express how you feel, an outlet. It's so, it, you know, it's, it's hard to listen to, but it's so beautifully expressed. And what I get from that sentence or that last five minutes that you've just given us is what I see of you as a man in microcosm, right? So <clears throat> I've only known you for the last few years. Yes, <laughs> that's a gift. You could have known me for all my life. <laughs> <laughs> wish I had. You know, genuinely one of those relationships where you think, you know, I wish I had known you for longer. But what I see is um, this coming full circle for the benefit of you and other people in that you have faced adversity and in that moment and throughout your life you have chosen to turn that into... I don't know if a positive is the right word, but you have chosen to um, express that in a way that's going to benefit you and it's going to benefit others. And it, it is an incredible thing to hear. Yeah, I think all the challenges I've faced, so I mean, just briefly, the the um, markers in my life was the abuse, um, my, my first cancer, then paralysis from the neck down originally, um, then another cancer. Um, now facing the fact that I've got pancreatic cancer, which is not easy to deal with, um, etc. But actually, I see them all as gifts. And I'll be honest, that's not me saying they weren't difficult at the time. I wouldn't wish them on my worst enemy. They were painful. They are painful. The cancer's difficult. Um, but I see them as gifts because I'm now choosing to use all my traumas in my life as a way to help other people. Um, because the abuse for me would have been sad if it had just remained abuse. Yeah. Uh, for me, well, for any person that's been through abuse, I think this is the most challenging thing. But if you can get there, it's the best. Which is, I now have found a way to look at the abuse as a as a gift, as a way to help others, which in turn is therapeutic for me, and actually then helps me to move on from the the trauma or the challenge. Um, life's too short not to help other people uh, so any of the remaining time I've got left I want to use it to help others This is <clears throat> as if planned a wonderful segue into the, the today's topic which is living legacy and I, I do want to get onto this I do want to explore it and I do want the listeners to get a sense of you know the, all the adversity and, and trauma that you have faced in many forms how that's led to this concept of living legacy and you being such an advocate for it before we get into that Thinking about mental well-being, 
in your life, in your experiences, what, what does the phrase mental well-being mean to you? Okay, so mental well-being, to me, I, I mean, I will say it, it, it is a phrase I wouldn't use. But that's because I'm a very plain, simple guy. Um, so mental well-being, to me, would mean finding the best way for you to maintain a good mindset, a good life, and to have happiness and fulfillment uh, in a balanced way in your life. Um, it's a bit like well-being and um, coaching and all these different things that we're saying nowadays, you know, um, vibration, work, etc. When I was a kid and when I was younger, these, these words didn't exist. You know, another word we tend to use these days is vulnerability. I'd never heard of that word until a few years ago, really, if I'm honest, mm. um, from a well-being perspective. For me, people need to find a, a, a balance in their life, a place of happiness, a calmness, um, where they don't feel stressed or anxiety or anxiousness or depression. These are all things that are not great in your life, and that would be you know, things that would affect your mental health. So I think mental well-being for me is just finding a place of, um, is it equilibrium? Nailed it. Equilibrium, that's right. Um, so I have been through the, the opposite side of that. So the reason I don't really think about the quality of well-being of mental health is, well, for me, mental health can change every day. And I'm sure it's the same for most people is that some days you have a good day and you feel on top of the world. Some days you have a bad day and you're feeling quite critical or low. Um, so well-being and mental health is something that can fluctuate quite often, several times a day or at least, you know, regularly. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it is more important to find your inner peace and to come to terms with things and not to hold on to hatred. I think for me, the word that kind of was in my life for 40 years was hatred. Hatred dominated my life and how I viewed it before I actually found inner peace. Not in a religious sense, but an inner peace from an acceptance. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, you're spot on. And I think we need um, what, what would genuinely help people is a better understanding for the fact that mental health mental well-being whatever phrase you choose to use to explain it is a fluctuating concept right it's not a case of if you're at your lowest you will be stuck there forever um and it's not a case of when you have reached your highest that you will be there forever you have to understand that it will oscillate and there were factors in your daily life in your past um in your present and in your future that will that will influence that and for me it's come down to having sort of um daily totems or daily activities however mundane they might be that i know i can go to to, to help me when i am not feeling as, as sharp as i want to what kind of things have you brought into your life in the last few years that, that help you reach equilibrium what you said is kind of how i do view it is that um for me the most important thing is that it's not so much how you describe mental well-being but it's how you manage it it's how you find it um, I use a lot of different things because I'll be honest, although I like to give the, give off this impression that I'm a really sorted guy and I see all my traumas as gifts, 
that is semi-true, but I still get down, I still get low days, um, particularly going through cancer treatment and so on. Um, I literally use every tool at my disposal. So how I get a good mental well-being balance um, some days is um, I will do some meditation. Uh, quite often I'll maybe think about a positive statement, affirmation. So I can be very critical of myself. Never, well, very seldom critical of others, but I can be very critical of myself. So I might, might waken up in the morning and create a little statement a bit like, um, you know, I am good, I am kind, um, and say it throughout the day. I use creativity. Um, I think the most calming thing that I use for myself, which I actually carry with me in my bag all the time, so it's sitting here in the floor, is Viking weave. So it's a bit like um, knitting with silver. I did actually quite fancy calling myself Rumpelstiltskin, who turned as it heather uh, hay or something into gold. I'm a bit like that, <laughs> um, but I use weaving as a process for mindfulness. I'm I'm one of these people that, although I'm a coach, if you said to me meditate, I find meditation difficult, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners also might struggle with meditation. I find it very difficult to sit, doing nothing, focusing on my breathing trying to tell myself be quiet listen you know be calm um whereas i find it much easier to weave or to play the piano or to draw and then get into that creative flow mm. that and that to me that mindful flow that creative flow that place where you're not even focusing on what you're doing it's happening automatically but you're not able to think about anything else and for me, that's probably the best thing I've ever started to do for myself. And it's actually what I encourage other people to do. Quite often, doing something physical with your hands. Um, so like weaving, playing the piano, baking, making something. Um, takes your mind off things. Because it's diverting your attention somewhere else. So this, in the, the realms of meditation... <clears throat> Being able to observe your thoughts rather than react to them. Um, yeah. Thinking, it, it's very hard not to think your thoughts, isn't it? So not only do you have thoughts, but then the human brain thinks about them. Just taking your mind somewhere else, be it through your Viking weaving, is that the right phrase? Yeah. Yeah, Viking weaves, uh, reading the paper, playing a game. Um, that is so essential for a healthy mind because it just disengages the, the brain a little bit and says, right, I'm going to focus on this thing. But whilst you're in the background brain, just do what you need to do. Um, consolidate think about a problem subconsciously and it's amazing the number of times you will come back from an activity and have solved a problem that you're not even well where you're thinking of well the only the only voice you're going to hear your entire life nearly every minute of the day for the entire your entire life is your own voice your inner voice your own thoughts and although i'm a big advocate for um well-being and um, mindfulness etc it's very difficult not to criticise yourself. Or it's very difficult not to have an inner voice that can sometimes be critical. I think, it's, I think it's impossible. It is. And I always put it down to the fact no one else can hear your thoughts. You can. And therefore you have this inner conversation with yourself. And I find the only thing I can do that uh, severs that thought process or cycle you can get into is distraction. You know, distract your mind by doing something physical so that you can't actually th think. Mm -hmm. 
And for me, creativity, some people might use exercise, etc. But for me, creativity in particular is that mindfulness. It's a perfect phrase to sum up this part of the conversation on um, and, and move into our, our main topic, which is living legacy. Hey, everyone. We just want to say a huge thanks for tuning into this episode of The Men Who Talk and take a quick break from the conversation to remind you how you can access more information on our collective. Head to our website, www.themenwho.com, drop us an email at letstalkatthemenwho.com or check out our Instagram, at themenwho underscore, to see what we're up to. Together, it's our purpose to raise the power of sharing what's on our mind and make it easier for men everywhere to access their well-being potential. So why don't you join us on this lifelong journey? Thank you, and back to the show. So just to return to something I said at the start, when, when you brought this concept to life for the men who, in a, in a circle, a physical circle as well, the, the reaction in the room was palpable. You could feel the energy in the room and you could almost feel these 10 guys sitting there thinking about their lives and their legacies in a new ways, in a new way. Um, leg, legacy is a word. The mind automatically jumps to something that you leave behind, you know, after you pass on or once you've finished a particular task. But the way you're going to describe this and the way you coach people is that it's something that you can experience for the better today and those around you can experience for the better today i've probably done that a massive simplification or injustice for you how do you describe the concept of living legacy to those that haven't heard of it before okay so just a bit of background so i do love helping people as we've said i love being creative um and like everybody else, I had dreams and goals in my life and wishes and places I wanted to be and money I wanted to make and, and success and all this kind of stuff and so on. But having gone through a few cancers and then also recently going through a lot of grief because I, I recently lost my mum who also had cancer. Um, what I then started to think about is, well, I don't know what my future is. Maybe I should start thinking about, oh, well, so I'm 46. This was a few years ago. And I thought, okay, well, what do you want to leave? You know, you can leave money, you can leave property, possessions, jewellery, whatever. I'm quite selfish. And then I thought, hmm, do, do I really want to leave something? And then I thought, well, actually, a legacy is not just about finances and, and money and stuff you can leave. It's also about what you leave to other people. So that could be, it could be love. You could, you know, leave love to people when, when you die. Um, but then I started to think on the selfish note, I'm using that word, which I know it isn't, but I started to think, actually, I don't want to leave anything. I want to live it. I don't want to leave uh, any pieces of jewellery and money and things. I mean, I will. But, um, and I didn't want to then think about what will people say about me when I die? How will people view me? Will I have left anything like a lasting legacy? I started to think, well, actually, why not live my legacy? Why not try and live my life the way I want to die? Why not try and um, share with people what I want to leave them now? Why not become the person I want to be? And also, you read a lot of stories um, whereby, a, particularly a lot of nurses and doctors who are working with terminally ill patients at the point that someone dies, they'll often ask someone about, you know, what is it that you are thinking about or can remember or what regrets do you have? 
very seldom as anybody says, well, I regret not making that six-figure sum. I regret not, you know, getting that million-pound house. Quite often and more often than not, they'll say things like, well, I regret not spending more time with my loved ones, or I'll regret not doing that or seeing that person. So for me, I want to get to the end of my life, whenever that is, and on my last breath, um, feel like I don't have any regret. Um, and that might sound somber or morbid to some people, but it's not, because although that's the thought process that I'm explaining, it's the opposite. I'm not an advocate of death, I'm an advocate of life. So I used to be scared of dying, whereas now with my life as it is, and losing my mum, which was my worst nightmare, I'm no longer scared of dying. I'm scared of having never lived. So I thought I'm going to take my two things. Scared of having never lived, wanting to leave a legacy, mix them both together, and therefore I'll live my legacy now, enjoy life while I can, die with no regrets as far as possible, and try to help other people to achieve the same. It's an, it's an incredibly powerful concept, and I'm sure the people listening will have picked that up from what you've just said. Certainly, when I talked to you about it for the first time, and that was having one of your free coffees, and then, and then you brought it to life in the circle, as I said, it completely changed my view on the word, legacy. Um, why does it have to be something that we leave until after? Why does it have to be something that we worry about in our waking lives, that we have to sort of make sure that we hit that? Uh, whenever that is, we die, whether that's in 50 years or whether it's tomorrow. And that does become a worry for a lot of people that they haven't, you know, done enough. That that how will they be remembered um, tomorrow if it all ends? What, I th- I what think, will they leave behind? I think the topic can be difficult sometimes because, particularly in the Western world, we're not really brought up to talk about death. Um, and although I my focus isn't on the death aspect, it's on the living. Nevertheless, it does touch upon death. And I say this, and some listeners will probably go. Mm, My belief is, from the minute we're born, there's only one thing we know. We're terminal. From the minute you're born, the only thing you know is you're going to die. Some people choose not to think about it, but nevertheless it will happen. Now, some people don't know the end date. Well, hopefully most people don't know the end date. But for some people like me, you do get to know the end date, or you know that time is limited. So I think people need to accept the fact more that death will happen eventually, but it's not to focus on the death part, but use it as a way to influence, to, to fuel your living. Not to, to, to die with regret, but to live with contentment and fulfilment. Mm-hmm. Personally, I find it incredibly liberating. Um, being able to put a completely different frame on something that is taboo, that people don't talk about, that they choose, like you say, not to engage with. And before I'm gone, whenever that is, it, it is something I really want to come to peace with and engage with that conversation around around death and, and legacy. Um, but you used a, a word there, fuel, right? Since I, since I was introduced to this concept, I come back to it almost daily and think, okay, um, what is my daily fuel for my living legacy? Take a moment, stop, think about what I'm doing right now that um, positively benefits people and what actions can I take? For example, uh, working with the guys and the men who to start this podcast, this for me is a living legacy in a sense. I know that these conversations will last forever. I know that I want my family friends, in particular my two boys, and if I have any other kids, to listen to these 
hopefully when I'm still alive, but if not, you know, when I'm gone and, and take lessons from them. But it also gives me a great deal of satisfaction to do it in the moment and to have conversations like this in the moment as part of that living legacy. The fuel aspect. How can how can other people embrace this? What practical things can they do in their everyday life that will move them into a living legacy mindset? I think there's different things. Um, so I call it living legacy. Some people might call something similar. They might call it purpose. Um, I think there's no easy answer to this. Firstly, I think try and think about what is it you want to leave to the world. Or the other way to think about it is, what do you want to give to the world? Look at what your passions are. Look at what your skills are, your qualities are. But look at what your values are and what you want to leave. The simplest way that I do it on a daily basis, and it's a pretty strange question to ask yourself, I admit that. But it, when I was younger, and I'm sure everybody's the same, you could have arguments, you chat to people, you, you say things on the spur of the moment. But throughout life and through the traumas and challenges and ill health, what I've realized is, for instance, one example, words was powerful. One word can make or break someone. Um, literally, you don't know how people are feeling that day and something you say could affect them. So on that kind of frame of mind, what I ask myself now every day is, quite often, nearly every moment, you know, this conversation I've just had, if I were to die tomorrow, would I be happy with that? So if I were to die tomorrow, would I be happy with the conversation I've had with how I've left it? Would I be happy with the action I've just done and how I've left it? And for me, asking myself quite regularly, if I were to die, after something's happened, would I be happy with it? Sometimes I'll then go, actually, no. You know, I've had an argument, I've left it unresolved. Well, I don't want that to be left like that. So I'll then resolve it. Um, and that kind of thought process is also, I've used from a lot of the hatred and regret I had in my life in the past. You know, I've either went back to past events and I've either taken action on it or I've tried to deal with it um, or find a resolution or I've just dropped it. Um, so I think, yeah, if you ask yourself a simple question, might not be that one, but something like, you know, if I were to die tomorrow, would I be happy with that or this or what I'm about to do? Um, and by doing that, that does keep you on the straight and narrow towards your legacy. But it, it is much deeper than that because your legacy depends on you, your passions, your family, the life you want to live, your personality. Um, so I think apart from that question, the biggest pointer I'd give to people is really just reflect on yourself you know you could journal or just think about it but who are you what do you stand for what are your values um what are your passions your skills your qualities what do you want in life fundamentally how do you want to die you know on your last breath what kind of thoughts do you want to have and um by just talking just now i what i've remembered is something that that kind of summed it up for me if you're selling a property, you don't really invest in the property one night before you sell it um, because you wouldn't get much of a return. So if you're selling a property, you, you invest in it, you get a new kitchen, you decorate it, you do it up, whatever, to increase the value of the property. 
if you're going to save money in a bank, you don't just do it the night before you want to take out the money. You put regular money into the bank so you can get a bigger investment. Why do we leave, typically, why do we leave the most important investment in our life, our last breath, to the last moment? So for me, we need to invest more in how we want to, to die. And by doing so, we invest more in life. It, it, it seems to me that reaching that state where you can knowingly go through your life and ask yourself that question in real time as opposed to after the event or when it's too late is as a, about as near to the peak of emotional maturity as you can get. And I think by doing that, there, there is a sense that, you know, you have come to a certain peace with your finite existence. You have to come to a certain peace that you will die one day and the fact that you will be remembered in a certain way. Yeah, I, I think, don't get me wrong, I can be self-centered like anybody can. I can, you know, think about myself. Um, I am just human. I think all my friends, what they would say is that I, I typically, I think before I speak most of the time, mm -hmm. I, I like to treat people as I want to be treated. There's very few times in my life now that I actually, I, I hopefully, I irritate people or say something to annoy them, etc., etc., because I do ask myself that question a lot because I do know that each moment is precious and I would rather treat people in a beautiful, loving, happy, carefree, fulfilled way than saying something that might hurt them. Um, so yeah, I think the beauty for me is it's actually now given me quite a calmness in my life. I don't react in an argumentative way anymore. I feel quite calm all the time and I think it's because fundamentally I acknowledge that death will happen. Could be a long time yet, but it's it's helped me realise the life I want to live. Can I ask you a very personal question around all this? Yes. Would you like your friends and family and those who you love and who love you to say the same thing about you today as they would say about you after you're gone? Or would you want it to change? Um, uh, that's a difficult question to answer. I think the way I'll choose to answer is, if I were to die today, I think I would be happy with what my friend said. I.e., if I were to die today and I heard my, what do you call it, your obituary or epilogue? epitaph. Epitaph. Thank you. I'm not very good with English. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I would be happy with it. Do I want it to be better? Yes, I do. Because I still feel like I'm human. I make mistakes. Some days I'm still selfish. I think about myself. Um, not even in a self-care way, but some days I, you know, we, I am selfish because I want to do things just for me. I think there's ways I can deepen my life um, and make my epitaph even more special. Mm -hmm. um, but no, fundamentally, uh, well, I'll, what I would say is if I were to die this very second, I have no regrets in the slightest. Mm -hmm. It's something I've started asking myself since you brought this concept to the table. Um, How depressing for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed my everyday. It has literally changed my everyday in a very knowing way. Um, and particularly since you know the, the two young boys came into my life, it's something that is so relevant to me. And I'm so glad it's a question I'm now able to ask myself without thinking, geez, I don't want to think about that. And it really is, it's, it's a similar answer to you. If I died right now, I'd 
think I would be happy about what people remembered about me and said about me, particularly in the last sort of five, ten years of my life. But I'm very aware of the ways in which I want to enhance that. And something, the the way the living legacy concept is manifested in my mind is, I think of my grandfather, right? So um, a, a huge presence in my life, my brother and my cousin. Um, and he's a man I very much look up to. And he's, he's he's passed away 15 years ago or so, but he's still a benchmark for me as a man. Um, and I found going through his uh, funeral notes I went through them with my my grandmother a couple of years ago, which is an experience I'll I'll never ever forget. Um, reading the things people said about him, um, the the readings they chose to express about him, because I was at his funeral, but I was very young and I was distraught, so I never I never took it in. Um, but reading that as a grown up with children and uh, forming a legacy has has been sensational. Um, and I sometimes think whether he was aware of this concept or not, in the same breath or in a different way. Um, I can see how he lived out his legacy through us, through his grandchildren, who he loved, um, and the things he taught him, and the principles that he instilled, um, in really stupid things that have had a lasting legacy for us. For example, when we were kids, he said, "You know, if you guys don't smoke until you're eighteen, I'll give you five hundred pounds each," and he was true to his word, right? Um, and that I don't know what influence that has had on me in you know being a smoker or not a smoker, I don't know if I would have if he hadn't said that, but I, I haven't. And every time that um, I was offered a cigarette in the past, I'd always think of him. And that, for me, not only was his dying legacy, but his living legacy. So um, I, I, love that the, I love that you can frame memories of other people with this as well, and not just yourself. Yeah, I mean, firstly, what you've said is, is, is beautiful and really sums up my own thoughts. I was going to be slightly cheeky and say, why, you'll do anything for money, won't you? <laughs> Um, Except smoke a cigarette. Yeah, but um, <laughs> no, everybody's legacy is different. How they choose to leave it is is up to them. But you're right. He he, by the signs of it, has left a lasting legacy that you will pass down to your children and grandchildren in the future, plus your own legacy. I think for me, watching my mum going through death, it's different to how I'm dealing with a. Uh, uh, difficult illness but watching my mom in her last few days towards life i mean she had been told she just had a hernia it turned out that it, it was wasn't a hernia it was actually womb cancer which spread to the bowel and spread to her brain when she was told she had might have a year left she actually only ended, ended up with three weeks left and i'm not joking when i say this but my mom did like to laugh she did like to joke it she did feel the seriousness of her death because obviously she felt as though she had been robbed of time as we all would, but she laughed constantly every day to the very last day. She even couldn't eat or drink that much because they told her not to. My mum, in her last few days, suddenly got addicted to Coca-Cola. Sorry for the advertisement. Um, (laughs) But no, she would drink Coca-Cola every day as much as she could, and there's a photograph of her the day before she died holding a can of cola with her thumbs up, smiling. And that just sums my mum up. And how I want to be remembered for is death is just part of this journey that we go through in life. She didn't see it as a reason to stop living her values that she'd lived her whole life. Mm-hmm. She saw it as a reason to carry on living up to that last breath, the way she always wanted to live, with humour and dignity and, and eloquence in how she talked and just good fashion laugh. And I think that made me realise that actually 
that's what I want to be. I want to face my death whenever that is with the integrity I've had my whole life and just still laugh, still see the dark humour and everything and and hopefully my wish would be to die laughing. Listen, mate, I hope it's not for a very long time, but I'll be there with hopefully a can of for you. Well, I'll make you laugh for sure. <laughs> um, it's, it's phenomenally powerful. I, I had a question here for you, which originally was... What have you learned by going through your living legacy journey? But I'm going to change the question if I can. What have you learned by helping others live their legacy? I think I've learned a few different things personally. I think on a world, human, humane, human level, what I've discovered is that we all have trials and tribulations and trauma and challenges in our life. Nobody has a plain sailing life. We all at some point have ill health or grief and loss and so on. Um, but I've also so I've learned that we're all, to some degree, go through the same things. But what I have learned is that some people choose to live the life with their own intentions. And some people just live a life. So you know, that's one thing that I find quite sad. And I used to be the same as I didn't live my life consciously. I just lived a routine. Mm-hmm. And for me, the legacy work has actually made me live a life. So I think what I've learned from other people is um, to bring more kindness and awareness and thought into living and live it with purpose and intention and not just through accident uh, or routine. And that is a mindful life, isn't it? It is. It's living life mindfully with passion and awareness and caring for others and caring for yourself. Self-care is something I never used to be good at. And through the legacy work, that's really helped me to be more mindful of self-care and, and what I want in life and, and how I want to be treated. Um, saying that, one thing I would say is having helped people with their legacy and, and I'm trying to live my legacy, I still don't like compliments. So I'm thinking of the question you asked me before, which was, in effect, would you like to hear what people want to say about you now? No. I hate compliments. I hate hearing nice things. Um, and it doesn't matter how much I've changed or uh, how, how I've grown now to love myself um, compared to what I used to, I still don't like compliments. Okay. So me neither, right? Um... And by the way, don't listen back to this podcast because your ears will ears will burn. But um, neither do I, and I think actually a lot of people listening will be thinking here is thinking the same. What? Just to take a little bit of a tangent on the topic, why why do you think we don't like hearing good things about ourselves? I think that's a it's probably well it's probably different for a lot of people. If to go a bit deep here, go go very deep, very deep. I think for me, why I don't like compliments is partly linked to the abuse I had in the past. So for years, as I was saying, I was abused by my dad. He said horrible things every day. I mean, I am gay. Um, but he would call my poofter and all these things. And I was a child. Um, I don't think he actually picked up on the fact that I was gay. I don't think he was that aware. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. He was just calling names to, to make fun of me or to you know make me feel bad. I think for me it stems from that. So. I didn't like myself for a long time, so I was being abused 
but equally that made me feel very low about myself. I felt worthless. I felt like I wasn't good, like I couldn't do anything. I wasn't able to achieve anything. I was dyslexic, so I was stupid. I was gay, so I was a poofter. I'm saying all these negative words because that's what I was told all mm. the time. So by hearing that verbally told to me all the time, I would then start to think like that all the time. And then also linked to this, I hated my dad for so many years for the abuse. But then actually when he was dying, I spent the last three weeks with him. And actually I forgave him because what I realised was he was just a man that had made wrong, wrong choices. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that he necessarily wanted to abuse me as such. He just made wrong choices that all choices have ramifications and it was just his impacted on me. For me then to accept a compliment as an adult, what became difficult was... I would then have to acknowledge the fact that I wasn't bad. You know, I'd then have to accept the fact that if I was given a compliment and I was a nice person, then why was I treated so badly in the past? Mm -hmm. By accepting a compliment, it started to make me feel like it made the abuse feel worse, if that makes sense. Because it made me then wonder, well, why did the abuse happen if I am a nice person and people are saying I'm nice? Why was I treated the way I was? Mm -hmm. So I, I have dealt with that. I've had therapy and I've worked through it in various things and living legacy and so on. But the last piece that's left me with is I still don't like compliments. It, do you know, it's something I've never really thought of, but I was thinking through it while you were delivering that answer, right? So what, what kind of relevance does that have to me? It's um, And I, I don't know, actually. I, I don't mind getting them internally, but I know that my immediate reaction when I'm given one is to deflect it. And, or downplay it. And I just, you know, it's something I'm going to have to sit on and think about why that is. Tall poppy syndrome, that sort of innate Scottish thing that we have that, you know, don't get, don't get too big for your boots because you'll be cut down to the quick and maybe I'm worried about that. I think part of it for me as well is I don't like focusing on me. And this sounds strange after this being on this podcast. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I, I grew up loving music. I was a concert pianist. But for instance, for me, walking on stage was never about attention. I, yeah. I dreaded... Um, walking on stage and, and getting an applause, which is a compliment. Mm -hmm. But I hated it. And I think because I prefer to focus on other people. For me, my life, I don't mean this um, as it sounds, and I'm not being a martyr or anything, or, but my life for me is actually to help other people, and I truly believe that now. So I would rather spend the time complimenting other people or making them feel more relaxed or happy or fulfilled rather than me getting the compliments. Mm -hmm. And that is a deflection because I don't like compliments, but it's also because I don't like being the attention. I love the attention being on other people. Yeah. You, so going back to positive things that people have, positive influences that people have on you. you know, my, da my dad's another one. So I've, uh, I've been very lucky. I've always had a very, very strong relationship with my dad. Um, and something he said in the past, even when I was quite young, and it, again, it always sticks with me. I said, you know, dad, you don't, why do you not, you don't seem to really spend any money on yourself. You don't buy yourself nice things. And, very simple comment. He just said, I, I prefer to spend my money on other people. And again, that stuck with me. And um, I, I'm, I've got no doubt that whether I realize it or not, that shaped a lot of my behaviors. And I've, I've, hold, I've held on to it. I hope I hold on to that little piece of advice my whole life. Um, whether you like hearing compliments or not, we at the men who, everyone listening to this podcast, everyone who comes into um, your consciousness and the, in a daily life is lucky to have you through the stuff that you do with Can Life Designs. <laughs> 
through the stuff you do with cam life designs through the stuff you do as a friend as a partner um the old ladies you speak to at bus stops we're extremely lucky to have you and and this is a podcast that i'm going to listen back to i know i will listen back to this a number of times and i know that i will give it to people i care for whether they subscribe or not because there's so many powerful lessons to 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 take from it leaving living legacy to the side for one moment coming back into the the mental health the mental well-being sphere um if you had a single piece of advice for a friend or someone who you met who was struggling and confided in you on how to improve their mental well-being what would it be obviously i'm going to give a clause and say that would depend on the situation but i think actually one thing i always say to everybody is give yourself time you know give yourself time to reflect to think don't isolate yourself and that's a difficult one because i've had moments when i was younger that i was suicidal um as a teenager dealing with the abuse um so i know that uh, you know events and trauma can change how you think i'd say try and talk to people if you can't talk about how you feel find a way still to express yourself get rid of expectation expectation is something that can actually affect your well-being greatly at the time that you're at your lowest and you know i can't do that because of this and i can't do this i can't think about this because of this person or whatever you know get rid of expectation do things in your own time don't let people force you to do something if you don't feel comfortable um, try and get the support around you to deal with it and to feel lighter. Get out into nature and have lots of walks and etc. Even if you're on your own, because I believe that you know, connecting to the ground, the trees, wildlife, nature, fresh air, is a great way to help your mental health. Um, also, what you eat um, is important. Draw more, write more, do some journaling. Fundamentally, don't criticize yourself because how you're feeling and this is i know everybody listening will say well that's impossible because when you're at your lowest ebb you're also your most critical uh, inner critic because i found that um when i was at my lowest ebb my inner critic came out and danced like a devil um so try not to listen to your own thoughts so much try and distract what you're thinking um and take time and it's a cliche but time does help um and looking back at my life as a teenager, I did want to die. Um, I didn't want to live with the abuse. I wanted to die. I um, couldn't kill myself because um, I didn't want my mum to feel like I had chosen to leave her because I was very close to her. Um, so one thing I'd say as well is that the mind is a powerful thing because I actually prayed for cancer all my life. And then at the age of 31, I got my wish. And the funny thing was that my first cancer I had was kidney cancer, which is very rare in your 30s. It's normally ever seen in children or older people. And the specialist actually said to me that my cancer um, has probably been growing on me since I was a, a child. So it does make you think, had I, I mean, I don't necessarily believe this, but wishing for cancer for every day as a teenager for about four or five years because I wanted to die and I couldn't kill myself. Did I create the cancer at the age of 31? You never know. So what I'd say is um, have time and respect um, and reflection for yourself. Um, don't do things 
uh, unless you feel comfortable. And don't be alone. It's been an unimaginably beautiful conversation to be a part of, Cameron, as all of our conversations are. Um, as I say, I'm really happy that this has been recorded and it will form part of your living legacy. It will form part of your legacy at large. However many people listen to this, certainly in, in, in my psyche it will. So thank you so much. I do have two more questions for you to end, end the conversation. But before we do that, for everyone who's sitting there thinking, I need more of this man in, in, in my life, how can people find you? Normally on a street corner. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, there's different ways. I mean, I'm sure you'll put the links up, but I mean, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Um, I also have a jewellery studio in Out of the Blue Drill Hall on Dalmany Street in Edinburgh. Um, so there's the jewellery studio. I've email, etc. I don't have a website yet. I would like one and I'm working on one. I think I've put it off because it goes back to that inner critic mm-hmm. and that's something I've got to work through. So at the moment they can contact me through LinkedIn, my email address or through coming into the studio and, and seeing me there. But yeah, I love connecting with people. So get in touch uh, and I'm sure um, John will share the links. We will put them all in the show notes. And you also have Instagram? I have Instagram as well. Yeah. yeah, For, for the visually minded of us. Exactly. Um, Cam Life Designs. We'll put it on the show notes. Please, you know, drop us a line at the men who drop Cam a line if you want to if you want to hear more about this because I'm convinced that he has powerful lessons to share that will that will help all of us for the better. And I would like to say I love strangers because strangers are just friends you haven't met. So I mean, literally everybody that wants to chat to me, come and chat to me. I love coffee. I love tea. I like to spend time chatting. Um. So yeah, get in touch. Free coffees. We were the best of strangers for thirty two years. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a real positive way to say it. Yeah, yeah, the best of strangers. Um, two pieces to finish off. So, what we like to do at the end of these podcasts is uh, give the current guest a question from the previous guest, and I have one from Mark Miller from the Blue Balls here, um, and then ask you to leave one for the next guest, who okay. uh, I think is going to be uh, Andrew Wild Goose from Goose's Quizzes. So, um, Goose, if you're listening, he, you know, uh, here's a wee week to think about this. The, the, but the question for you from Mark Miller from Edinburgh Blue Balls was. If you had one mental well-being or mental health superpower and you could remove one personality trait of your own, what would it be? Um, personality trait I'd probably remove from myself is, is the inner critic. Because although I know I'm a nice person, there is still times that I don't feel it. And actually this morning I woke up and I thought, yeah, am I doing the right thing with my life? Am I, you know, in the right way? Can I help people? Am I good enough? Um, which I, I know the answer is yes, I am to all of those, but it still doesn't stop the inner critic coming out to dance. And so that is the one personal trait, if that is a trait. But that's the thing I would get rid of is my inner critic. Yeah, I think a lot of people would be sitting here agreeing with you and I wouldn't be too far away. Um, do you have a question for next week's guest? Yeah. Um, my question is obviously around legacy. Um, so what do you want to leave when you die? And how are you going to live it now? Perfect way to wrap up the conversation. Cameron, thank you so much for your time. It's been a genuine pleasure. No, thank you so much. And thank you to the listeners as well. Um, and I, I love men's who, honestly, the, the chats we've had is incredible. And um, I love the fact that you're bringing light and love to a lot of people. Thank you, brother. 
Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Men Who Talk. We really hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did and can apply some of today's wisdom to your own mental well-being practices. For more information on this episode or our collective, head to the show notes or visit our website www.themenwho.com or head over to Instagram at themenwho underscore. If you've found value in what we've been sharing, feel free to rate and review our show as it really helps us spread the word and reach more listeners. For now, keep talking, stay well, and be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Men Who Talk.